Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hello, Brett. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing okay today. How are you? I'm wonderful. So, Brett, do you think it's true that people don't like lawyers? The short answer to that is yes. I think it's stereotypical, but I think it's probably more nuanced than that. And I always, you know, feel maybe this is more my internal perception, but I always feel like uh, when I get asked that question, whether it be at a dinner party or an event, you know, hey, what do you do? I pause and think about how to answer that instead of just saying, I'm a lawyer. Because every time you say that, the eyes roll. How many uh, attorney jokes do you get? And right. everyone goes on about their business of w- talking about other things, especially given the type of practice that we're in. You know, if it's criminal law, it's like, oh, tell me about like, you know, all that, those sexy cases of all those people that are getting arrested and, and tell me some cool stuff. We don't really have that. So it's kind of boring to them. Um, Unless you're at dinner with someone who's under indictment and then they want free advice. Or has a business issue with a partner and says, "Hey, quick question. You know, is this kind of law? Do you do? Let me let me ask you a question." So I've kind of over the years, especially since we started, uh, I branched out on my own. We started our firm. I've kind of changed the answer. I don't always say I'm a lawyer. Obviously, it depends on context. But I say, you know, I own my own business, and you know, then obviously that. What begs type of business question, is right? it? That begs the next question, which is, oh, what type of business? And I say, well, I, own, I run a law firm. And then you get a little bit of the eye roll, but it's a little bit more contextual, right? Not just, hey, I'm a lawyer, some lawyer at some firm somewhere overbilling my clients, like most people think happens um, right. just for the sake of billing. So, so I, I tend to say I own and operate a law firm, a business law firm, something of that variation. So let's explore a little bit why, you know, why is it? Why do people not like lawyers or why is there this perception out there that mm-hmm. people don't like lawyers? Any, any ideas? I don't think the profession or in some individual lawyers uh, who have grabbed headlines or, or you know, the outliers, let's say, uh, have done themselves or the profession any favors. Certainly, there's been some outliers that have been widely publicized about some bad acts by lawyers, but less publicized might be, you know, some lawyers who just want to make as much money on a particular matter, a particular case as possible, as opposed to looking at it from a, a broader context and a relationship context. Uh, which is what we do, right? And so that could be one aspect of it. The other aspect is lawyers that really don't particularly care. They don't take the time to really get to know and appreciate and understand the clients and just look at it as, hey, this is a matter, I'm going to do my best, and, and God bless them, that's what they do. But I don't think they necessarily do themselves any favors is one is one aspect of it. So you, so you think it's that lawyers... Bill or charge too much that they're driven by the dollar. Some not, I know. Yeah. We're, I recognize that we're our, our claim to the reason is. I guess we're starting with the premise that a few bad apples have spoiled it for the whole bunch. But which I I think can in yeah. large part be true. Yeah. But let's start with the idea that lawyers bill too much, or maybe they're focused too much on the dollars. Some right again the outliers right, and then, and unfortunately sometimes the outliers are what dictate 
perception. So lawyers were one of the few professions where we bill on an hourly basis and there isn't always um, an actual incentive to expedite the matter, to conclude it as rapidly as possible. Most lawyers are not on a budget. There's no cap. Let's talk litigation lawyers specifically. So do you think that's a, a... exacerbates the problem, you know, that makes it worse is that I think clients feel like this lawyer may or may not have my best interests in hand. Yeah. In mind. Yeah, I, I think so there's a predisposition, right? I mean, we've seen it from clients that have come in and sat down with us on on con- initial consultations or the first meeting after they hire us for litigation matter, right? So first and foremost, they're there either as a potential plaintiff or a defendant, so they're not real happy. <laughs> that they have to be there anyway, right. Right? right? This is not where they're buying or selling something, which could be a good thing to them. This is litigation, which, candidly, we're litigators. It's we, I always tell clients it's not something you really want to be involved in. So they don't want to be here in the first place because it's a problem. And so any dollar that they spend towards that problem, right, in their view is... God, I don't want to be doing this anyway. So they come in with that, I think. So maybe right? that's a better starting point is that yeah. we're a resource that or a product that the consumer doesn't want to buy in the first place. We're like insurance. Nobody wants to buy insurance. They have to buy it. When they have it, they don't want to use it. They're hoping to never use it. And so for lawyers, people come to us because they have to. Unless they're a deal lawyer, you know, right. a deal lawyer who's a helping someone purchase a piece of real estate or a business or something like that. But even then, I think they, lawyers tend to be a necessary evil for you know deal people, private equity, real estate buyers, developers. They want the lawyers just to get the job done as quickly as possible and not get in the way of the deal. But generally, we start with the proposition that clients don't want to be hiring a lawyer in the first place. So they're already negative. They already have a negative association with this engagement. Right. And I think that, again, the predisposition of, man, this is, I know this is going to cost me a fortune. And it's open ended, right? We come in and we say, we have no idea. I mean, it's very hard for lawyers, right, in a litigation context. Why why is I, because I think a lot of non litigators and a lot of non lawyers, don't have a sense of why. Why? Why are we the only line on a business's budget that is not predictable? So we can only control ourselves and our actions, right? So we don't know. Let's say, for example, somebody comes in and they want to be a plaintiff in a litigation. We have no idea what the defendant is going to do. We don't know what the who the defendant is going to hire, and so we can't predict. Right, how they're going to re- react and respond. Number one, from the potential party's perspective, but also the lawyer. We also don't know the judge, the court. We have no idea how any of this is going to go. We can give a general sense of how things go based on our experience, but we don't know. We don't know that whether or not a defendant is going to come in and undertake a scorched earth defense. Um, we, we have no idea. We don't know if they're going to come in and say, you know what, let's sit down and resolve this thing on the front end. We just don't know. We don't know whether it's the defendant or the lawyer that's going to take that position. And we don't know whether the judge is a judge who is going to move cases along or because their docket may be so large that they can't move cases along. And we just have no idea. And so it's very hard to predict. And so, and litigation can become more expensive when you have that on the other side, right? And so it's very hard. We can only control and predict our own actions. 
within the strategy that we set out for the client, but there's a lot of factors that we don't control, which is where right the costs and the expense and the time can can get out of hand. Right. And I, I suppose that's part of why in our practice, for those of you who don't know our practice, that we do a lot of contingency and modified fee arrangements for client with clients so that our interests are on their face aligned. I mean, I'll tell a client, any client, that our interest is aligned. I know the same is true for you and the rest of our firm. We would always rather have a shorter matter where we make less money and we have a happier client than a long, drawn-out matter that costs a lot of money and everybody's unhappy. But where we can align our interests with the clients where we have a contingency on a plaintiff or we're doing some flat fee components with a, um, a defense case, I think clients are much happier and we're more predictable. And the reality is, you're right, we can't predict what a judge is going to do. We can't predict what the opposing party is going to do. But we can, to some degree, where we know the judge. We do know most of the judges who we practiced before. But even then, you can't always... You're assuming that, though, this is where... A client comes in and a lawsuit's already pending. Right, you won't know the judge right until, until the, you file. The lawsuit's so, filed. Right, so right. you you don't know yet. And that's exactly why we, when we do flat fees, we'll do them in stages: a flat fee for the initial stage, initial complaint through filing, or initial defense through. Right. Let me let me stop you right there and ask you: Have you seen clients who may not be receptive, or maybe may second guess whether or not? You know, there's some something amiss when a lawyer is sitting across from the table from them, like you, in a, in a situation where you're proposing a flat fee or fee based on milestones. Like, wait, this isn't the way it's been done. I feel like maybe the lawyer is, you know, this guy Jeff Bass sitting across from me. He's proposing this, but it must be because he's going to get this done really quickly and just take all that money for the fee. Like, yeah. do you feel like they're not open to it and receptive? Sometimes, and we we have that, and the client will say, "Well, wait a minute, you might resolve this for me with a letter and a phone call, and then I've paid you all this money." And the response to that is, "Well, isn't that better? Isn't that a better outcome for you?" And so, I think you have to shift the client's mindset to look at it from the perspective of what's the value of what they're getting. Not how much time am I putting into it? Because I would like to humbly believe that because they're getting a letter from Bass Damron or a response from Bass Damron or they see an appearance from Bass Damron, that that changes the impact of you know the status of the litigation and puts us in a position to resolve it quicker. So yeah, I mean their clients have, are reluctant; they have a fear. But I and I know you do the same thing. I'm always upfront with the client about. Look, we can do it either hourly, traditional hourly, and here's what I think it's going to cost, or a flat fee. And I will tell them that if I'm flat feeing it, I'm building in some risk factor for myself. And so I may, it may work out better for me, but it also could work out worse. But what this gives you is that you wouldn't otherwise have is certainty. And there's certainly a, you know, some value in, in certainty. And I think most clients want that, especially a business client. Every line item in their budget is predictable with some degree of uh, variability, except the litigation line item. And so when you can give them that value, it's, it's worth so much. So, you know, we've kind of gone through litigation a little bit. Right. Um, how do you apply that, if at all, in a bankruptcy or insolvency context? 
the flat fee component. Yeah. It's well, in some respects, depending on the type of case, it's a little easier in some respects, but it's somewhat driven by the client. So that's why we'll typically want to look at the client a little bit, do a little bit of a diagnostic, do a little blood work, if you will. If you think of the medical analogy, I'm not going to tell you how much the surgery is going to be until I, you know, check your vitals and do some blood work so I can have a good understanding. And what I mean by that is I want to see the accounting records. Are they, managed by an actual bookkeeper who keeps things in order and there's software or are you going to walk into my office with a box of paper and unopened envelopes which we've actually seen in the past and say here you figure it out you know those two things cost very different they will require very different investments of uh, of time and effort so it can be done we do it a lot the flat fee component we do it we often do it in our practice insolvency litigation certainly deals but let's steering back to you know why clients don't like lawyers one other thing i was thinking about is along these lines is not just the unpredictability of what we do and what we've charged but uh, i would say another thing that lawyers do that don't help our reputation is non-responsiveness and to me that's the easiest thing for a lawyer to do to make clients happy is just communicate with them. And it's one of our core values is communication. So many lawyers just don't return phone calls, don't respond to emails, and they leave their clients in the dark. How many times have we heard about a client who finds out about a service their lawyer performed because they see it on the bill? We have a rule in our office that a client should never learn about something from the bill. They should have heard about it from us. And that's such an easy thing, but I'm always amazed at how few lawyers do that well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I know that's always been something that I've done and then we've done as a firm as well. And I know you do it as well, which is you know getting back to clients communicating, not just in terms of what's going on with the case, but the overall strategy. And I think sometimes we lawyers are so we're charged with being unemotional, right, about a particular situation and a matter. We're not involved, and that's why they hire us, so that we can take the emotion out of it for them. But I think we can get numb to the fact that it is sometimes emotional for the client. It is something that is so central to them. It is something that is on their mind all the time. It is something that is taking up a lot of their mental capacity. It could be something that's so difficult. It could be a family situation. It could be a business situation. It could be, you know, any number of things, especially in litigation or bankruptcy, but even in, yeah, family, criminal, divorce, you know, probate. I mean, any of those situations, there's a problem. There's an issue, right? And even if you go back to deals, transactions, uh, buying or selling, I mean, the client is, you know, knee deep in these issues. And a lawyer is sometimes may lose sight of that because it may be one of a dozen matters that the lawyer is working on. And, you know, again, we're brought up as lawyers to be passionate when we have to be, right? Zealously advocating for our clients. But sometimes we stop short and forget that this is something that is so central to the client and the client is, has significant emotion as they should around the matter for which they're hiring us. Whether it's in our case, you know, losing a business, whether they've been sued for millions of dollars or whether they've been wronged and need to sue. And a lot of times 
we just were, again, we're very numb to it because we've done this how many times over? Uh, and it's just another case, change the names, change the dollars, remove it and put new names and faces in, and we just go forward. And I think lawyers don't do themselves any favors by forgetting that. Right. I think you just pointed to another reason why lawyers are disliked. And I think it's lack of empathy. That lawyers don't have the ability to put themselves in the seat or the shoes of their client. And this client who maybe started a business 25 years ago and has built it up and now it's crumbling before their eyes. What's that like? How many sleepless nights have they incurred? Or are they worried about a child who's being prosecuted or whatever it may be, whatever that problem is, they've been living that problem. So if you show a little empathy, mm-hmm. not a little, but if you actually can show empathy and have empathy and show it and be sensitive to the needs, it's not just the legal needs of the clients. Oftentimes it is the emotional needs. Some clients, they just need to be heard and they need one, they need to be heard because it's cathartic Two, because nobody's ever listened to them before and threes, they need someone to have their back. They're in a fight. It's the first kind of fight that an individual has or a business owner has that they haven't been there before and they can't fight him themselves. And now they're looking for someone to really have their back. They want someone to, to have their back. And a lot of lawyers don't really even look, that doesn't even enter the calculus for a lot of lawyers. They just look at this and say, all right, well, we'll do this, but we're probably going to lose. And so I always, talking to young lawyers, I always remind them to sit back and think about how, you know, put themselves in that situation, um, the situation of the client and how they would feel and react. I do think it is important that lawyers are removed from the situation that, you know, the lawyers don't get emotionally involved because Agreed. it can cloud judgment. And sure. that's why you hire a lawyer, right? But I do think it important from a strategy perspective, from a client relationship perspective, to understand what the client is going through and really to forge the strategy along those lines, right? Something, there's a very simple question that some lawyers may not ask a client either upon first blush or after they get involved in a matter, which is, what do you want? Right. What's the outcome you're looking for? Right. What's the outcome you're looking for? Now, it may be that that's not the outcome that can happen, but you have to understand what, what they're looking for and what their expectations are and what they want. And you'll better understand them. And I think you'll get a better connection with the client and the relationship will be a better one as you progress in the relationship. Agreed. I always ask that question. And I think the other, the flip side of that is understanding, especially in litigation or insolvency, any type of two-party or multi-party dispute is understanding what the other side wants and empathizing with the other side. How are they looking at this? They've been providing goods or services to your client for such a long period of time. Not only have they not received payment, but their phone calls are going unanswered and now they start making assumptions. What is going on in the mind of the other side and what does the other side really want? If I was in their shoes, what are they looking for? Right. Often that process alone allows us to find a creative solution where both sides win. That's one of our sayings here is to win. For us to win, that doesn't mean the other side has to lose. Sometimes a victory allows both sides to win, particularly in, in our line of work where a creditor may be owed money and even if they accept less than full payment, they may be better off by having their customer survive and continue operating 
in the long term. I'll throw another one out. Another reason why lawyers don't do themselves any favors necessarily and why, you know, clients dislike yeah, let's lawyers, keep bashing or, lawyers. Let's keep bashing lawyers. But no, but but another thing is is the la- is incivility. You know, the lack of civility among lawyers. Lawyers fighting with each other is not going to help the client. Lawyers fighting each other is going to drive up the costs because they're going to take certain actions and, and things aren't going to get resolved. Some issues should be resolved, right? But they can't be resolved if the lawyers aren't getting along. And so I think that there's this sort of view that there's this level of incivility among lawyers. And I think that we don't do ourselves any favors given that perception, I think, as well. Like, for example, one client would come in and say, I want an aggressive lawyer. Well, what do you mean and why? Why do you want an aggressive lawyer? What's that going to do for you? It's our job to sort of figure out what they're looking for, right? As opposed to just, I just need an aggressive lawyer to go and, and you know, mess around with people. Right. I think that a lot of people view it that way, right? Like, oh, you're a litigator. Oh boy, you must be, you know, <laughs> you must make life difficult for people. But that's not necessarily, that's not our job. Does it happen sometimes? Sure. But that's not our job. Our job is to represent our client and to get the result or push for the result that our client wants, right? I mean, that's it. And right. so it doesn't mean I have to make life difficult for opposing counsel. It doesn't mean I have to make life difficult for the opposing party. You know, there's sometimes when, you know, you have to push and, right. and be somewhat we, aggressive, but we see it a lot in the insolvency arena where the bar tends to be a little smaller. I mean, the the, the number of lawyers that are, that practice in the bankruptcy arena, the bankruptcy bar is smaller, a little bit more intimate. So we all tend to know each other. And some clients come in with this concern that, oh, you're you're friendly with the lawyer on the other side. Is that going to be bad? You're not you're not going to be willing to fight with them and be aggressive with them. And I we say no to the contrary. It's much better for you. It's a lot more expensive and time consuming when we can't communicate because there's so much emotion or anger or hostility and everything has to be in writing. So right. every time I'm trying to accomplish something, I'm sending a letter to the other side and then they're sending a letter back and we're misunderstanding each other. But if I know the lawyer on the other side, I can pick up the phone and we might be able to resolve this in a single phone call. Right. And we're, right. we're civil. Uh, right. Having a relationship with a lawyer on the other side, a good relationship doesn't mean that you're just going to cave. <laughs> right. You know, I think there's that perception too, right? Yeah. And so I think it's incumbent upon the lawyer to explain that to the client that they actually benefit from that, like you said. I think that's, I agree. So I agree. And on the list of why business owners don't like lawyers, the first is that they don't want to hire lawyers to begin with. Then lawyers are unpredictable about what they're going to charge. Then they charge too much and they're not responsive, and they don't communicate with empathy. And the other thing I was thinking as we were speaking is that they tend not to speak in plain language. So a lawyer will send a legal memo to the client. A client may ask a question, can we do this or can we do that? And a lawyer sends a memo, a 12-page memo with citations to case law about why they can or can't do something, or often the question's not that simple and the answer's not that simple. And they don't just... I think most clients just want to be spoken to in plain English. And I don't know why lawyers refuse to do that. Maybe it's their uh, their own bravado. They spend so much time in law school, they want 
the right to use what they learned. But what do you, any thoughts on? Yeah, I think that it's it's all contextual. I think it depends on your audience, and I think you have to communicate to your audience, right? And so, <laughs> I agree with you. I don't. I where there's times when you have to write and speak like a lawyer, and there's times when plain English is probably better. And so I think you have to understand those situations and communicate accordingly with the client, whether it be on the phone, whether it be in an email or, or a written document like a memo or, or something filed with the court. You know, I always, find, I always find it interesting, like appellate lawyers, they write in very simple terms. They have a good ones do. The good ones do, right. Plain and English. Plain English. And, you know, sometimes those are the most difficult things, most complex issues, you know, uh, before the highest courts in the land. And you read those briefs and they're in pretty plain, simple English. Right. And I think there's also a tendency for lawyers, there's this fear that if I give the wrong answer, the client will be upset. I'll be sued for malpractice. So they just give the no, the non-answer answer. Yep. Well, if you did this, this could happen. If you did that, that could happen. And there's so many variables that's impossible for me to predict with any degree of accuracy the future events. And therefore, I recommend that we do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> just give the client an answer. I remember I was working on a deal for a big private equity fund when I was at, in big law. Big acquisition. We were up in Delaware. We're in the conference room with all these people, and they were fighting over an aspect of the case. I didn't know the client that long. I was just the insolvency guy on the team because they were acquiring an asset out of bankruptcy, and everyone's fighting over a term. And the client looks at me and he says, "Does this really matter?" And I said, "No." And he goes, "Thank you. That's the best answer I've had, you know, in this entire deal." I just I didn't qualify it. I just said it doesn't matter. And we, from that point on, the whole the we just moved on. Well, I'll give you an, uh, just another quick anecdote. I was outside of a courtroom arguing with a lawyer about an issue. His client was a few steps away. He, his client walked over and said, do you mind if I listen? I said, it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm fine. We kept talking, the lawyer and I, and his client looked at me and said, I'm sorry, what are you asking for? And I told him and he said, I don't have any problem with that. <laughs> so the lawyer is arguing, but never bothered to go ask his client. So that goes back to the communication. I would add one more thing. When you said we build too much, that to me is laying out expectations. And I don't right. think lawyers necessarily do a good job of that on the whole, laying out the expectations for the client. Listen, you're about to get involved in litigation. This is going to be an expensive proposition. Here's what to expect. And so when they get those bills, it's not a surprise as opposed to saying, yeah, no problem, no big deal, it's all good. Yeah, get, let me sign you up as a client. Let me take a very low retainer and then my, my first bill is going to be you know five times the retainer amount. And I think lawyers can help themselves on the front end by laying out expectations for, for the client. How many times have we met with a client, done a consultation, given them an estimate of what it will cost and then we find out that they hired somebody for a fraction of what we told them. Then, <laughs> six months later, they call us and say, well, the first guy really mucked things up and I want to hire you now. Yeah. I mean, we've had that so many times in our career where we are replacement lawyers where we just come in and try to clean things up. And what do we always tell them? It's going to cost you more cost in more. the end. It costs more the second yeah. time than it yeah. did the first time. Yeah. One last component, I think, and that is, I think a lot of lawyers just fail 
to realize what their job really is. Their job is to make life easier for the client, not make it harder, not make it more complicated. And we always talk about within our office is a big theme in our office is make the client's life easy. Don't send them an email that lays out five different options and say, what do you think? If we're laying out five different options, first of all, make them clear, number them, separate them so the client understands it. Don't have a 12-page email without any kind of framework around it. But at the end, and most, most importantly, make a recommendation. That's a rule in our office. Don't give a client options without making a recommendation. They want to know. They've hired us for that reason. It's our job to make life easier for them. Agree. Agree 100%. So... They don't want to hire us. We charge too much. We're unpredictable. We're non-responsive. We don't speak in plain language and we don't make their life easier. I get it now. I understand why <laughs> clients don't like lawyers. Yeah, I get it too. But on the whole, I think lawyers really do are interested in doing the best for their client and creating the relationships with the client long-term and getting the best result for the client that the client wants. Um, I do think on the whole, I think the bar does want that. And as we talked about from the beginning, I think unfortunately they're the outliers that uh, create the misperception. And so I think it's incumbent upon us as lawyers, those of us in the majority, to really start to speak louder, carry a bigger stick in terms of the profession itself. And just maybe I'm going to start answering the question that, yeah, I'm a lawyer. Let's not let a few bad apples spoil it for the whole bunch. Well said, Mr. Pastor. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.